0: Hello there, welcome to this episode of Bridging the Gaps. I'm your host, Dr. Vasim Akhtar. My guest today is philosopher and sociologist, Professor Renata Slitzel. Renata Slitzel is a professor at University of London and a senior researcher at the Institute of Criminology at the Faculty of Law in Ljubljana, Slovenia. In this episode of Bridging the Gaps, we are going to discuss her new book, A Passion for for ignorance what we choose not to know and why renata thank you very much for joining me and a very warm welcome to bridging the
1: gaps thank you vasim for having me
0: Uh, renata you suggest in the book that in this post-truth post-industrial world we often feel overwhelmed uh, by the constant flood of uh, information and misinformation and it seems more and more we are closing our eyes and are turning to denial, negation and ignorance. Before we discuss uh, this passion for ignorance in detail, please help us to understand many faces of ignorance uh, that you discuss at the start of the book.
1: Yes, uh, you know, at the start of the book I look at the philosophical debates uh, that have been going on for some time Uh, you know, one of the usual theories is that people who are ignorant uh, you know, have like a a lack of a desire to know not only a lack of knowledge but lack of a desire and then, you know, we have of course uh, Nicholas de Cusa the philosopher from the medieval times who is teaching us that the most important is so-called learned ignorance. The fact that we know that something cannot be known. In his case, it was sort of like kind of the core of uh, the world, the religious kind of uh, thinking was for him or like things related to God as such. But from his time on, of course, we have a lot of discussions about, you know, what is to be known and what cannot be known. And I think what I'm trying to do is I, I'm trying to bridge the discussions that are going on in philosophy with the discussions that are going on in sociology, where for example we are speaking about the kind of a cultural background to of our ignorance. For example, we are learning more and more about the structural ignorance, where the power is functioning is functioning in such a way that it is keeping uh, the people in dark uh, for its own purpose so that they can go on governing or corporations, for example, are using structural ignorance. We also have, you know, a certain kind of uh, ignorance which is embedded in our discussions about, you know, the knowledge society. Uh, More and more we are learning how limited we are in acknowledging uh getting close to knowledge. For example, we need to have copyright. Um, we need to have access to knowledge. Our, us as scientists, we are for example writing articles, but we cannot easily read other scientific writings because you know it's so hard to access them unless you pay subscriptions, very expensive subscriptions to scientific journals. All these discussions from sociology, philosophy, I'm linking to psychoanalytic discussion, which was sort of first proposed by French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan, that people actually do not have passion for knowledge, but rather passion for ignorance, which means that there are intersubjective problems like which I discussed structural ignorance or how the society is sort of giving us or not giving us access to knowledge. And then there are individual sort of problems. You know, there is unconscious, there are you know past traumas, there are you know knowledges which we cannot easily rationally comprehend. All these You know, it's something that psychoanalysis has noticed from its start, that people claim that they want to know, but then they do everything not to. And uh, Jacques Lacan coined this a passion for ignorance because he observed that his patients came to him with the claim that they want to know what is at the core of their suffering, but then they did everything not to come to the truth, which is behind their symptoms.
0: Uh, You also uh, talk about uh, the transformation of uh, the concept of uh, knowledge economy uh, into uh, ignorance economy?
1: Yes, I think so. If we look at how difficult it is, to come to knowledge, you know how hidden knowledge is. How much manipulation is linked to, you know, who can get access to knowledge or not. Now the problem is, of course, that on the one hand, we all presume that we have access to knowledge because we are using uh, Google or other search engines. But you know, knowing a little bit about Google, uh, Google tells us that there are algorithms which are creating a hierarchy between knowledge that we can immediately see. Uh, If we use a different search engine, uh, we get different type of information available, you know, and we know that corporations are paying uh, for their knowledge or whatever, you know, they are propagating to be higher up in the search, search engine. So there is this manipulation. The second manipulation is, of course, related to sort of like what kind of knowledge is now copyrighted. You know, many things that come out of nature are now copyrighted. You know, companies are uh, copyrighting even you know parts of our bodies uh, or you know genetic code and so on. So here too, we don't have even access to the knowledge about our genes. And all this, I think, is creating, you know, really a new problem. There are, on the one hand, companies who are, you know, posing ever new limits to the knowledge, and there is the public, general public, which has to go over many obstacles to come to knowledge. And now we see that big corporations, which are dealing with a lot of big data, are establishing their, their own research institutes, you know, because through this data, you know, they themselves are able to come to certain knowledge which is prohibitory or off limits for the rest of the world. And of course, big universities have access to the information that other universities don't have. So even in science, even in academia, we have now a hierarchy who has access to which information.
0: Uh, The book, A Passion for Ignorance, uh, What We Choose Not to Know and Why, uh, is organized uh, very well. Uh, Most chapters in the book start by outlining some kind of uh, ignorance. Uh, This could be an active or passive ignorance, conscious or unconscious uh, uh, ignorance, and then you discuss underlying reasons and possible impact of these denials and negations. Uh, let us first discuss uh, this ignorance uh, that, uh, in my view, is, uh, is, is, is very important, uh, 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 that is, uh, choosing to ignore uh, scientific evidence, uh, for instance, uh, in the context of climate change, uh, global warming. Uh, talk to us about uh, working of this ignorance.
1: Yeah, I think this is a really important ignorance. Uh, like, what we have observed is among some of people who live in very prosperous societies, which, for example, have relied on uh, sort of fossil fuels. Uh, You know, people there might personally feel that they are, uh, you know, prone to be kind of ecological in their private lives. Uh, They are recycling and so on. But, you know, actually, they might embrace a certain kind of denial of climate change because it goes against their perception of progress. So they might be afraid that the type of life that brought them progress might end if they sort of go full force fighting for, you know, changes in regard to our climate crisis. So that's like one type of ignorance that some researchers observed even in Norway, you know, which, for example, is a very prosperous country, so that privately you think of of yourself as progressive, (laughs) ecologically-oriented individual, but politically you are not engaging much in you know pushing your government to do more you know or to, to sort of like change the way their prosperity is is uh sort of coming to to them and then, of course, we have, you know, various other types of denials which are, again, more structural, and they are linked to, you know, big capital, you know, working very hard to keep people in dark, or at least not necessarily in dark, but to keep doubt alive. You know, nowadays, we ha- because every one of us has presumably has uh, access to knowledge Uh, which exists, let's say, online, uh, it is very easy to manipulate, you know, this kind of uh, access with introducing a certain kind of a doubt. Uh, You know, we are are living in times where, you know, knowledge very quickly becomes valued in an equal way. Like if an influencer says something that can have equal value to a scientist saying something and here you know for the companies who understand how to manipulate people it is very easy to introduce doubt we are observing this doubt not only in regard to climate change but for example in regard to vaccines you know like of course you know it's important to question whether vaccines are vaccines are safe but you know when you start you know kind of giving a lot of time in the media or where, you know, in the new social media, people who are kind of constantly uh, questioning the vaccines have a lot of influence. You know, suddenly people start thinking, do I really believe this or not? Shall I really trust? And the same is happening with, with climate change. So this kind of an infusion of doubt is, you know, something that is changing the way people are perceiving certain, you know, facts, like, you know, facts related to the problem of global warming.
0: An interesting point uh, that I am keen to make here is that uh, some denials, uh, some negations uh, seem to be subjective. Uh, For instance, uh, in the case of climate change, many people who do not accept that climate is changing claim that their viewpoint is valid and the other viewpoint is incorrect. So in their view, the others are ignoring the facts. Uh, So the point that I'm keen to raise is uh, depending on a particular context, a denial, a negation and ignorance uh, becomes uh, subjective.
1: Very much so, but like the same is happening with the current pandemic. You know, so people who believe that there is a problem with coronavirus might think that, you know, other people who don't believe have a completely different worldview and vice versa. And I think with a lot of things today, we are living in times where we don't trust any more traditional authorities. And I think it's not necessary to go back to traditional authorities like father figures or church leaders or even state leaders, you know. However, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a change in identification. And I think that the core to this change has happened already, you know, decades ago with the neoliberal ideology, which I discussed in my previous book, Tyranny of Choice, uh, because this ideology has addressed us as uh, individuals who have who can make choices about who we want to be uh, how will our life be how will our ch- children live um, our bodies health and so on and i think here we also have the core of the kind of a choice in regard to what is truth uh, or what is fact or you know which information i will believe or not so here i think is the core of something i call uh, in the in the book the ikeaization of society the way that you are supposed to assemble your own furniture you know, also influences other parts of our lives. We are supposed to be masters of everything. You get ill, you go to Google, you know, you study your own illness, you go to your doctor, you know, telling him, you know, what he or she should do. Uh,
0: Let me raise uh, another important point uh, uh, that uh, not every denial, not every negation, uh, not every ignorance uh, is bad, Sometimes uh, we deny, negate and ignore reality to deal with the difficult issues, uh, for instance, uh, uh, some sort of trauma.
1: Exactly. And that's uh, another point which I'm making in the book. A lot of studies about ignorance perceived ignorance in a negative way. You know, usually we use ignorance in a pejorative way. You know, we say that other people are ignorant. We rarely would address our own ignorance. And my point is that we have to see that there are moments where ignorance is really important for our survival, for our well-being, and it also needs to be respected. So when we are dealing with a person very traumatized, you know, it is important to understand that if he or she is, you know, in the grip of ignorance, we should not force certain kind of traumatic knowledge onto him or her. And, you know, since I have been through a short war in Slovenia, when Slovenia seceded from Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia, I observed in my own life how important it was sometimes that people were ignorant in, in midst of, you know, kind of extremely anxious uh, situation when they were closing their eyes or when they did not want to get more information or when we see people who are dealing with, you know, very difficult uh, health issue, uh, when we are uh, informing, for example, people about their illness. Uh, if we are doctors, we need to be really careful to understand the logic of denial in this case, or in love. You know, I think there wouldn't be no love without ignorance. Uh, If we see too much, we might easily fall out of a fantasy, which is at the core of love feelings.
0: This nicely brings us to my next question Uh, and you briefly touched upon uh, this point few moments ago uh, that uh, not all uh, denials, not all negations uh, are bad. Now, it seems that denial and ignorance are often uh, at work when a person wants a relationship to succeed and you say in the book that a person in this situation does everything possible to keep alive the fantasy that sustains this relationship. Talk to us about this point.
1: Yes, of course, in our private lives, people are very easily lying to themselves when they don't want to face some truth which might bring to the end, you know, their, uh, f- the fantasy that they have created around uh, uh, another, and especially when they are falling in love or when they are in a relationship, which is why we say that love is blind. Uh, however, you know, today technologies are actually offering people a lot more, you know, to see the insight of another, you know, I'm speaking about the dating apps, which are planning to use our genetics code, so that we might kind of predict what will happen in the future with our partner or potential children. And, you know, we also have all kinds of tracking mechanisms, we can use surveillance, and all that is, of course, killing uh, love and romantic feelings. And, you know, I Discuss also these problems with algorithms. So when people are using dating apps, uh, if they learn, you know, how dating apps are creating a hierarchy uh, among the users in regard to their presumed desirability, uh, people who have decided that they want to understand how the algorithms work and learn about, you know, their desirabilities code were often, uh, you know, sort of sorry for their search, you know, because we have a fantasy about ourselves, how desirable we are, you know, which might not go together with how the algorithm judges us.
0: In this modern age, people are encouraged uh, to nurture unrealistic ideas uh, about themselves. Uh, For example, uh, uh, what uh, they should look like, uh, the kind of uh, lifestyle they should aspire to. And when they fail to live up to these ideals and uh, when they fail uh, to attract other people's uh, attention, they feel that they are being ignored. This fear of being ignored by others is also a reason when people uh, choose to ignore and deny facts about themselves.
1: Exactly and here is what I was trying to do in the book to link the question about individual's ignorance you know his or her relationship to knowledge to the question of You know, how does he or she feel when, you know, he or she feels ignored? So my idea was that more and more people today have the feeling that they are not acknowledged, that others don't see them, that society does not acknowledge them. Of course, this is nothing new in the past people had very similar problems, which is why, of course, in the past and today, people have pretended that they are more successful or so on. And, of course, today we have, you know, like a reversal a little bit here. I'm discussing uh, the imposter syndrome where people perceive themselves as being too acknowledged, like that others see them as more important than they actually are or more accomplished. Like people in the past, it was mostly women, but now it is men also who have climbed the ladder of success and then they are constantly afraid that others will find out that they are actually fraud. So, you know, this question of recognition is something that psychoanalysis has observed already for decades. The crucial anxiety-provoking question for a person is who am I for another? And here it is not only another human being, but another in the meaning that jacques lacan you know uses the so called big other the society the social symbolic setting in which we live so how am i regarded by the other and by society as such am i acknowledged or not these are really anxiety provoking questions and you know in times when we are addressed as people who can make ourselves visible like you are the the one who can create visibility for yourselves via, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, When we are kind of identifying with the ideals of neoliberalism, then we can easily have the perception that we can make it, no matter what, you know, it is up to us to succeed. And so, in this climate, to be perceived as someone who is ignored, not acknowledged, I think is becoming extremely painful. So you have an imperative to be visible, to be acknowledged, and then you have all these subjective feelings that we are not. And and I think that this is creating like a moment where people, because they don't feel acknowledged, like the you know people who identify with the online uh, groups of incels, uh, whom I'm discussing in one of the chapters, uh, resort to violence as a result. Of kind of feeling ignored, not acknowledged, not necessarily physical violence. In some cases, yes, physical violence. But in some cases, violence is verbal violence. You know, violence expressed uh, in the attacks online, uh, in in very aggressive sort of uh, user. Usually, um, in, the, in the case of uh, insults, miso- misogynic uh, discourse that they are sharing uh, in their chat rooms uh, in regards to the women who are not uh, acknowledging them and as I said before, some are resorting to violence, there have been you know, killings as a result of this perception that you know, some incels felt ignored by so-called you know, alpha, alpha women.
0: Uh, this uh, brings us uh, to my next uh, question. Uh, We live uh, in the age of big data. Uh, Data about uh, us uh, are being captured and analyzed uh, all the time. Uh, You say. That in most cases we agree to allow access to our data when we sign up for various applications and we tend to ignore the fact that such applications uh, may invite corporations and state surveillance systems to use our data. Uh, You say that uh, this situation has led to the emergence of uh, new forms of ignorance uh, and denial and uh, you use a, a very interesting term Uh, The delusion of big data. And you uh, highlight uh, uh, this assumption uh, that technology is always good, uh, technology is always right.
1: Yes, I have been quite surprised how little people are thinking about the data that is collected about them. Uh, Okay, by now we know that big corporations which are, you know, giving us access to internet or, you know, apps are collecting data about us. But, you know, we do everything to close our eyes. And here it is a forced choice often. If I don't uh, uh, agree uh, to the data then i do not have access to an app for example i remember visiting ukraine a few years ago and i was surprised how at every corner of kiel you have free internet and i asked my host don't you feel you know anxious that someone is collecting uh, information about you constantly and they said no you know no, like why would they why would anyone collect our data you know but i was thinking like okay you are not living in a terribly democratic country you know of course someone might be interested in, in your data but majority of people were perfectly happy that they just have free internet so that's like all they were interested in uh,
0: in uh, one of your uh, previous uh, uh, books uh, you talk about paradox of choice, it seems that we live in a time where we have too many options, too many choices uh, for almost everything. However, is this really the case? Uh, Please unpack uh, this concept uh, of paradox of choice uh, that you discuss in one of your previous books.
1: Yeah, no, my problem when I was looking at this ideology of choice has not been that we simply have too many choices. Um, Like many people have no choices. Let's say if you don't have money, if you don't have economic means, your choices are limited and your children's choices are limited. However, the ideology of choice has created an impression that everyone can make it, that it is up to us to make something out of our lives. So for example, like uh, two years ago, I was in Chile, which is the country which was one of the first one that adopted new liberal ideology, you know. However, you know, there are many poor people and my Chilean colleagues were saying yet, unfortunately for us, a lot of these very poor people still think that it is up to them to make something out of their lives. You, they just need to work harder, although they already work you know, so many hours per day, but they think that, yes, it is still up to them. And so my analysis is that there is a feeling of guilt and a feeling of anxiety that is created when we identify with this ideology, which keeps us passive. And so the, the success of neoliberalism, I think, is precisely on this emotional front that we are looking inwards, you know, what did I do wrong? Did I make the right choice? Did I work hard? Did I choose the right profession, the right partner and so on? And so we are blaming ourselves and we are working on changing ourselves with the apps and so on, which I analyze in this book, you know, we think that we can rationally control our urges. If only, you know, there is now technology that can help us be more productive, then we will succeed. But I think that the success of neoliberalism is the anxiety and the feeling of guilt and this extreme individualism. So even people who have no access, for example, to uh, medical insurance in the United States, they would be against a kind of a state-organized uh, health care. Although they have no choice, they embrace choice.
0: Uh, You also uh, discuss uh, ignorance uh, in the form of uh, acceptance. uh, uh, Ignorance uh, in the form of uh, being complacent. Uh, For instance, uh, uh, it is obvious that there is inequality and uh, the distribution of wealth uh, is uh, uneven. Uh, uh, However, uh, this view, uh, perhaps this assumption that anyone can make it uh, seems to stop people to rebel uh, and to uh, to challenge uh, this uh, inequality.
1: Yes, because uh, you know there have been you know analyses which showed that people uh, would not fight for like a bigger taxes or you know more taxes of the rich. Some people because they have the kind of the feeling that maybe they themselves succeed at some point and of course they don't want to tax themselves or they would have a fantasy that their child will become a new bill gates or you know another you know app inventor and we don't want to tax that person i think that this ideology has stayed for quite a, for quite some time and i think that maybe now we are observing changes there i think that we are observing a certain distrust in this idea of choice or everyone can make it. So I can envision in the next years, uh, you know, that there will be much more of a critique of this ideology.
0: Uh, In the book, uh, you discuss various uh, forms uh, of uh, ignorance. Uh, Some of these uh, impact people individually. And some have uh, collective uh, impact uh, uh, at uh, societal level. Uh, in your view, uh, which ones are 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 important for us to study and to understand better?
1: Uh, I would come back to you know, actually the individuals, sort of like the, what Lacan calls the passion for ignorance. I think that here we do come constantly to the point where there are some things that we just cannot easily rationally comprehend in our lives, which is why, you know, we do embrace ignorance, denial, negation to kind of survive. And I think this is something where we need to respect ignorance uh, and understand it as as sometimes a survival mechanism for an individual
0: these differences of opinions uh, and uh, various uh, uh, patterns uh, of denials and negations uh, create uh, anxieties what is being done uh, at research level and uh, what is being done practically uh, to deal with such anxieties
1: Yes, I I hope so. But I think we're living in times where, you know, for people, it is difficult to uh, politically organize uh, organize themselves. Um, A lot of people are embracing a certain kind of passivity when it comes to political action. Unfortunately, uh, there is a certain kind of a passivity related to the feeling that nothing much can can be changed, uh, that corporations, the manipulation that is happening with the help of the social media um, are here to stay and, you know, so I would say that quite a lot of people are disillusioned in regard to the possibility of social change. So if we look at the current pandemic, at the start of the pandemic, we had a lot of discussions that pandemic will open up the doors for rethinking of society. Uh, by now we know that this kind of pandemic and the futures for future type of pandemics, which we can envision will come, might be related to the type of progress that we lived through, uh, there have been, you know, in the last decades, a lot of writings about, you know, our uh, exploitation of nature, uh, the types of farming which are bringing us closer to the contact with the viruses uh, that exist in more wild nature, or, you know, even, you know, the, the whole market of uh, wild animals for for eating which has been the case in China we have almost forgotten about this you know how the virus came you know to to uh, to kind of start infecting people presumably through the wet market in in Wuhan but you know the studies have done have been done about the farming you know the big, one of the books is called uh, big farms big flu which analyzes you know already other uh, type of uh, uh, sort of viruses like Ebola, for example, which has also been linked to the um, exploitation of nature in in africa for example like introduction of monocultures like you know enormous plantations of palms which have been built in the nature where you know suddenly viruses are jumping from uh, wild animals to domestic animals you know or you know the exploitation in south america you know the the cutting of rainforest which is also changing uh, uh, you know the flora and fauna there so i think that at the moment you know when this pandemic happened there was a fantasy of change more and more we are seeing that nothing has changed much okay in the in the near future we can all expect uh, you know extreme economic problems on top of health issues this is like the the next issue will something change in regard to the organization society will there be more Equality, will we rethink the exploitation of nature? These are the questions. And I think that here, unfortunately, we are still closing our eyes as society. You know, as individuals, we might fight. But if we are not in group, we, if we don't have political power, I don't think we can envision, uh, you know, important changes in the near future
0: you have outlined uh, various forms of uh, ignorance uh, in this uh, book. Uh, One topic uh, that is stuck in my mind is uh, ignorance or misinformation about our bodies and ignorance uh, about uh, our genetic uh, makeup. Uh, Why, in your view, it was uh, important to include this topic in the book?
1: Yeah, I had the feeling that we had like far too much trust in genetics uh, on the one hand and like forensics on the other hand. um, Forensics, uh, I'm speaking about, you know, uh, the cases of searching for lost bodies in the war, but also, you know, forensics in the police sense. Uh, There was Quite a lot of debates in the last decades that you know, if you if you find a little body evidence, you can you know uh, find the criminal. Uh, that was like for a long time, you know, this belief in uh, infallibility almost of, of forensics. But then we saw you know, many mistakes and many mishandling of data and so on. And in regard to genes, I think we have believed far too much that genes are the truth in the body. That if we know the genetic make of the person, like one's genome, It will be easy to predict and forecast the future. And also there was so much belief that medicine will quickly find, you know, cures for a lot of illnesses. And, you know, the more I speak with geneticists, the more I see how essential it is to, you know, embrace doubt. Of course, we can be proud what genetics or neuroscience uh, have taught us but we should not you know perceive it as the ultimate truth in the body and we should not forget the subjective dimension that we create our own fantasies about the genes that we create our own stories about what is in our bodies what is in our head and you know that genetics and neuroscience they create also a certain kind of a new imaginary you know not only a new language, but a new kind of a perception of what is inside. And then there is a lot of space for mistake, manipulation, and that, you know, medicine knows very well that there are enormous gaps in its knowledge and that's what I think we need to sort of embrace that we have come to some knowledge but there is a vast amount of the unknown and if the pandemic had taught us something is how important it is to publicly speak about the unknown uh, happily you know our um, researchers in the domain of uh, epidemiology uh, are talking publicly about the unknown, you know, and even World Health Organization not long ago has pointed out how much unknown there still is about this novel coronavirus. And I, I think that this is a real important thing, which is why I embrace universities which are introducing the ignorance studies. Um, University of Arizona has introduced already decades ago in the medical faculty a special Subject on sort of ignorance in medicine. The idea was to teach students to acknowledge the unknown. And I think that's kind of the driver of science.
0: Uh, Making uh, ignorance uh, studies uh, part of academic programs uh, seems uh, uh, a a very interesting idea. Perhaps ignorance studies should be formally uh, introduced uh, in all important uh, disciplines.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I think that's like really important to teach our students sort of the power of an unknown and, you know, the strength to acknowledge the unknown, the limits of our knowledge.
0: Professor Renata Slaitzel, thank you very much for being with me. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show.
1: Thank you, Vasim. It's been a pleasure for me too.
0: Thank you and goodbye.
1: Goodbye.